0: Hello and welcome to MPN Forum Live, the home to MPN patient storytelling. The only podcast specifically designed for patients and caregivers of MPNs, which include the following blood cancers, PV, ET, and myelofibrosis. From the dawn of time, human beings have shared a deep history of bonding with each other through storytelling. These stories provide MPM patients and their families with a unique experience not easily replicated on traditional social platforms. Besides patient stories, from time to time we will feature guest hosts, caregivers, hematologists, and experts who can provide insight into medical breakthroughs and the benefits of exercise and a well-balanced diet. We are funded through donations from our listeners and grants from CTI Biopharma and Insight. MPN Forum is completely independent from outside influence and is reliant on donations from our listeners. Anyone interested in making a much appreciated donation can go out to our website, mpnforumlive.com. Please click on the donation tab and you can donate via check or PayPal. All views and comments presented on MPN Forum Live are the opinions of our guests and hosts and are not to be taken as professional medical advice. Always check with your hematologist or oncologist should you be interested in learning more about a topic discussed on MPN Forum Live. All right, let's get on with the show and welcome to episode one. Today we won't be featuring a guest as I'm going to take you through my experience as an MPN patient and what it's like been like for me living 33 years this year, as an MPN patient and why I founded MPN Forum. In 1989, I was driving home from work and I felt awful. Anxiety was, was something that I was dealing with over the last several months. I would have regular anxiety attacks and just assumed that it was the stress of the job, but it wasn't. I also began to sweat And as sometimes happens with um, patients that have developed polycythemia vera, people had noticed that my face had a redness to it that um, wasn't normal. But because I lived in California, people just assumed I had been spending time either golfing or out in the sun. But I recently had a physical and nothing abnormal showed up. Then I had tightness in my chest and I finally had to pull my car over and call for an ambulance. Thankfully, we had cell phones back then. So it made it um, very easy to um, get um, emergency services right away. When I was taken to the hospital in San Francisco, um, I was there for probably six and a half hours because it was uh, close to midnight when I got all of the test results back from... um, uh, the emergency room uh, doctor that was handling my case at the time. And she went over line by line. I had no idea at the time what hemoglobin was. I mean, I knew what hemoglobin was blood, but I didn't know what hermetic counts meant. I didn't know what platelets of 1.6 million meant. Um, I didn't, I didn't really understand any of that. Like most first time patients, um, you know, when the doctors start talking to you about, um, the information, they're talking almost like in a second language. Cause I had no idea what she was talking about and she had some theories, but she said she didn't want to share them with me because my doctor that she spoke with my regular, um, general, uh, GP, um, had told her just send me home, and that he would take care of things in the morning, and that I should stop in and see him at nine o'clock the following morning. So I got my car, drove uh, back uh, all the way home to San Mateo, went to bed that night. I was just happy to be home. I didn't feel any anxiety. I, I felt. I had survived whatever it was. I wasn't having a heart attack or anything else. So I I really wasn't thinking that I had a major problem. Next day, I went into my doctor's office and we sat down and um, he spoke to me and he said, I want you to walk with me over to the hospital, which was right around the corner. Um, I'd like to do another CBC and then start a phlebotomy. Well, I didn't know what he was talking about and as what happens with a lot of patients uh i really wasn't listening i i I was but i wasn't hearing and i i kind of felt a little nervous so i i wasn't concentrating 100 percent on what my doctor was saying and and uh so at first i said i said to him what do you mean i need a lobotomy and and he said no phlebotomy not a lobotomy he said, you might need a lobotomy, but right now I'm just dealing with a phlebotomy. So we went over to the hospital and believe it or not, and this was a, was a reputable hospital in California, in Northern Cal, and uh, they didn't have anybody that um, would do the phlebotomy. I guess they didn't have a regular phlebotomist. So um, my doctor agreed to do the phlebotomy himself. They handed him the the glass uh, uh, container to um, put the needle um, through. And uh, I lied down on the table and they started drawing blood out of me. Um, They wound up taking two pints, so they didn't let me leave right away. And they gave me some of the sweetest grape juice. It was terrible that I've ever had. I swear to God, it must have had a 10 or 20 grams of sugar in this little small, uh, container. And, um, it, it, it was just awful. But, um, so I started doing phlebotomies two a week, actually for almost two months, um, to get my counts down. Uh, they, they, I was, you know, uh, my counts were pretty high. My platelets were somewhere around 1.7 million. And my, hemoglobin i can't remember was my hermetic or my hemoglobin was at 73 so it was uh pretty high so they got it down into the 50s within about a month and a half and uh my doctor then uh told me that he was waiting for this hematologist that he liked who really turned out to be an asshole but um i'll get into that in a little bit um dr henderson and uh he he um he was on vacation, so I couldn't see him for another month. So, um, but my doctor talked to him and they set me up for a, um, uh, bone marrow biopsy, which, um, I, you know, I don't know how they are for all of you, but for me, they're very painful. Um, I, I don't, first of all, I don't like pain. I have a very low threshold. So, um, uh, you know, the, my tolerance for, um, the, the bone marrow biopsies, uh, was not good. And I, you know, I avoid them at all costs because I, they're just very painful for me, but that's another subject for another time. So anyway, I went in and had the, the biopsy and, uh, you know, I thought they'd have the results right away, but the hematologist wasn't going to be back till the end of the next month. So I had to wait for him to come back. So he comes back from vacation. He's got the results. He calls me into his office and said, look, I just want to tell you something. I just got back from vacation and I'm actually going fishing in about three hours. And so I have to get through all the patients in the waiting room. So I'm going to be brief uh, with you. Um and at that point I really started getting nervous because um I kind of felt like the doc the hematologist was trying to avoid telling me something. And then um and he didn't close the door in his office, which which kind of irritated me because I thought, you know, if he's gonna tell me something, that this should be a private discussion, which is one of the reasons I really didn't like Dr. Henderson very much. So um Anyway, so he um, said, I, I, I need to tell you that um, the bone marrow biopsy test was not good. You have a very advanced case of a disease called polycythemia vera, and you're 30 now, according to your records. Um, he said this is really hard for me to tell you, but you probably won't be around more than 10 years. So... You know, you always watch those uh, TV movies, uh, made-for-TV movies, and, you know, like Brian's song and some of those other ones where the patient is told they're going to die. But until it's you, you you can have empathy um, for the characters in the movie, but – uh, or TV program, but it's really hard to understand when a doctor is sitting there and telling you that you're going to die from this disease. Um, it, it it broke me, and I started crying. And uh, he still didn't close the door, which again really bothered me. And then and then while I was crying, he handed me the box of the tissues and said, "Look, um, I've got to see other patients. Um, why don't you head home?" and i'll get back in touch with you start talking to your attorneys whoever you consult with and you know start getting your life in order and then right away i started bawling even more because i started thinking about my kids my my wife had left two months before um to become my ex-wife and i was raising our three kids um my son nicholas who was uh I think it was five years old at the time when I got this in nineteen eighty nine this diagnosis, and then Carrie was three and a half, and Katie was a year and a half and so you know I'm thinking what am I gonna tell them there's there's no way i I'm gonna die in ten years i i can't I can't allow this to happen and so i um I went home and um just went into my room thankfully my kids were out doing stuff with their grandpa and i i just started bawling and it you know it was it was just really hard you know being told this and then being all alone um you know what do you do when you're first told a diagnosis like this it's a it's a terrible thing so i took um Uh, about a month off from work and spent my time at home with my kids and got myself back together. And one of the first things I started thinking about is coming up with a plan for, you know, how, how I was going to deal with this. And one of the first things I knew was that I, I, there had to be a specialist who knew more about this. And so I called my father who lived in New York and told him what was going on. And, you know, I I love my dad, but he's kind of a harsh guy, not a lot of empathy, but, you know, at first he thought I was being overly dramatic and, and didn't know what was going on. And, and, um, you know, it's always hard for other people to understand, um, what it's like, you know, and what we're going through. And I think that's why so many, um, M.P.M. patients seek out support groups because it's just no matter how close you are with other people, it's very difficult for them to, um, really understand what you're going through. And, you know, you can't bury them with information every day about what you're thinking in your head because you'll drive them crazy. So, um, I, I realized I needed to get a therapist, um, that I could talk to and, um, seek out, um, uh, some sort of support group. Um, and that's when I stumbled upon, um, a group of, of, uh, people on America online. One was Joyce Kneeblock, the other, uh, Robert, um, Tolan, and I can't remember the names of the other people, but it was five people and I made six and, it was the very first uh, MPN support group, um, which um, was great having people to talk to. And I actually flew back and we all met in Washington, D.C. and had dinner except for Joyce. Joyce wasn't wasn't there because she never really got along well with Robert, which I, I never blamed Joyce for that. I think Robert used to enjoy antagonizing Joyce, but that's another story for another time. Um, so that that was helpful because I could actually talk to people um, about uh, that had the disease face to face, and it it helped calm me down um, and give me some confidence. And then in the meantime, my father uh, made some calls, and I got in to see Doctor uh, Stanley Schreier, um, who recently passed away a couple years ago, um, and he became my main hematologist at stanford and he was a really good person and and so when i went to see him you know one of the first things he encouraged me to do was create like a business plan since i was a businessman so um you know kind of create goals and you know the the first goal for me which which we set was you know, even though my kids were obviously really young, but it was, it was, um, I wanted to see my kids, uh, graduate from high school eventually. Um, so that was our first main goal that we set up. The next was to, um, set up, you know, to learn meditation, um, you know, deep breathing exercises and things, because, um, I was having real anxiety attacks now over the, 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 you know, initial diagnosis, but, you know, Dr. Schreier calmed me down quite a bit, said, you're not, he says, I don't believe you're going to die in 10 years. But, um, so, um, you know, having that specialist that in your corner that really knows your disease, um, even if you live in an area where there aren't any specialists and you have to go out of town, uh, having the ability to, um, uh, have an expert that lives and breathes this all the time, um, that you can even use for part time, um, like Dr. Ruben Mesa, who's one of the best. I I mean, I I can't say enough, think great things about Ruben Mesa. Um, he's got empathy, compassion, and he's a great doctor and a great person. And, um, so I also brought Doctor Mesa in, and then brought Doctor Silver in later um, as part of the consulting team. And so I wound up having three, and then finally four doctors when I eventually switched to interferon when I converted to myelofibrosis in 2012. And uh, you know, having a diverse team with different opinions. Um, was actually excellent because it allowed me to um, explore different ideas and have deeper discussions with all of my team about what the best recommendations are and the best practices so that, um, you know, I was confident that I was doing everything possible to um, survive the disease and that was obviously really important to me because i i really felt like i needed to um always have a plan in place based on um you know whatever the conditions were what you know as as uh things began to change and i began to um convert to myelofibrosis, you know the first thing i had to do was get on interferon and at the time stanford was only using interferon on leukemia patients. And so it was a big battle with Dr. Schreier. That was probably the only time we really got into some deep arguments. And you have to fight for yourself as a patient. You you can't trust everything to the doctors. And that was one of the first things that I was taught by Dr. Silver is that you can't turn the management of this disease completely over to your doctor and walk away from it that you have to be involved you have to educate yourself and you have to fight for what you believe in and so he kind of gave me the idea of how to talk to dr schreier about um, getting me on interferon and the plan was to which is exactly what i did which is i sat down with dr schreier at my next appointment i said look what are our options here now that I've converted to myelofibrosis? And he said, well, we could keep you on the hydrea, but he said, I don't think that's as effective. We could put you on Jackify. And and I said, will it slow down the progression of the disease? No, it will not. So I said, what about interferon? And he said, well, if you want to get sick, I'll go ahead and prescribe it, but I don't recommend it. And I said, well, I may not get sick on the interferon. And I said, isn't interferon shown somewhere that it's possible that it can slow the progression of the disease? And he said, yes, it has been shown, but isn't 100% verifiable. But, you know, he, he was not as enthusiastic about interferon later, though, he came around and said, you know, he said, you have done so well on the interferon. Um, he said, you know, I, I need to look at this a little bit more. But um, he passed away a few years later. So um, I don't know how much time he really spent looking at it. But I, I still miss him to this day because, you know, you build up a relationship with a doctor over 30 years and, um, you know that's a it's a strong bond and and uh um he was always there for me when i you know had breakdowns and um he really tried to understand me and he had a lot of patience with me i'm not the easiest patient to deal with because i don't just say yes to whatever they say um i make sure that the information is correct and that it's the best uh move for me um, I've also learned over the years that you have to watch out for other things. Like I developed CLL, um, you know, and then I got a heart arrhythmia. And so, um, you know, there's all different things that crop up over time. And so um, that's why you've got to exercise, change your diet, get in shape, and, and really focus on um, taking care of your disease. And so on that note, I'm going to, Stop talking about me as much and, and explain to all of you why I started MPN Forum Live. Um, as most of you know, I um, was invited by Xenia to um, join MPN Forum many, many years ago and had a lot of fun writing and um, writing articles and sharing my point of view, especially on exercise and how it impacts um, our diseases. Some of you really appreciated it. Other other people who couldn't exercise didn't want to read my articles, but I I understand both sides of it, but um it is really important exercise and I read a lot a lot of cancer studies cuz there weren't many studies on exercise with MPM patients, but there are hundreds of them um uh papers, clinical studies on cancer patients. And so I had, I really read a lot of that type of information. And so it was, it was very helpful for, for me anyway, over the, my 33 years, I've met a lot of NPM patients from all over the world. And, um, um, it's been a real opportunity to get to meet everybody and, um, you learn a lot from each other, but it's also nice in this long battle that we have to, to know the people that are out there. Um, everyone from my MPN, I mean, my, um, AOL group has passed away. I'm the last surviving member. And so one of the things that's always bothered me is that when people pass on, it's, you know, other than a couple of pictures that get posted on Facebook and then, you know, the way Facebook is set up, the, the photos just drop off and they're impossible to find a lot of the time, unless there's only like 10 or 20 photos, then you can always scroll through them. But when you've got hundreds or thousands of patients on a Facebook page, it's much more difficult to manage that type of stuff. And I miss hearing their voices and, um, you know, their sense of humor and, and all of that stuff. And And so I was thinking, you know, with the podcast technology, it allows us to keep that person alive after they're gone. And it's not just for me or, or other patients. It's also for the families. So the families can hear their stories. Um, And I think it's an important thing to do to keep an archive of all of the people that lived. Um, and what they went through and how they felt about it, and how they grew as 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 a person through this disease process, and how they dealt with it, and the pain they felt, the things they did to overcome a lot of obstacles to survive as long as they have and so um when I pitched this idea to insight and c c t biopharma c t i bio biopharma they they both really loved the idea and um wanted to uh help provide a grant so that we could do this and I hope um all of all of you understand that it's you know this will only be as successful as um, as as you being involved. There's no way to um uh grow this without you sharing your stories and it, you know i I understand that this is a very private matter um but the type of questions and discussions we're going to have, I think are really important. And, you know, 20, 30 years from now, um, this will be an archive of discussions and storytelling that will allow other people to learn and see how far we've come with the disease. And um, for all of you that have your group of friends that are part of the MPN community, it will definitely allow you to keep them alive after, um, they're gone. And I think that that's important because there's so many people that have passed over the last 33 years that, um, it, it, it just would be great to hear their voice once in a while. So anyway, that, that's really why I did this. And, um, I hope you'll take the time to make some donations on a regular basis, even if it's just a dollar, um, everything helps. Um, cause otherwise, you know, it's, it's hard to fund this all on your own, but, um, I've also set this up <clears throat> so that there'll be some sort of transition in the event that I pass, which I uh, hope never happens, but, um, uh, you know, it's an, it's an easy thing to run after a while because uh, uh, we're not having to write articles and have a huge staff, but there's a lot of people that, that are involved that, that work with this. And I want to thank my design team for the website um, and um, donating a lot of your services to help create the, the MPN Forum Live website, um, working with me on the copy um, and photographs and everything else that we've done um and uh that that's about it and this uh concludes our first episode and an introduction to npm forum live and for those of you who didn't know my story now you will know my story thank you wish you the best